Hello and welcome to Halftime Scholars, the series that features the interesting work of independent and emerging researchers. On this episode, we speak with Lana Zita, a PhD candidate in educational studies at McGill University. Around the world, teaching English to speakers of other languages, instructional approaches appear to be rooted in monolingual and monocultural ideologies, which primarily emphasize on the cognitive aspect of language learning. Learners often unknowingly employ plurilingual strategies for emotional expression and managing language diversity. Her study mainly focuses on how these plurilingualism teaching strategies and their role in shaping immigrants' personal identities. Lana, welcome to Halftime Scholars. Thanks for joining us on this episode. Thank you for having me. If you can talk to us a little bit about your journey before your current PhD and work. Of course. Well, my educational background has always been in education, more specifically in applied linguistics. Even before starting my PhD, I was born and raised in Lebanon. So I received my BA in education and MA in TESOL from the Lebanese American University in Beirut. And I immigrated to Montreal, Canada almost five years ago. And that's when I started my PhD in educational studies at McGill University. I have over 10 years of experience teaching English as a second language, including coordinating intensive and academic classes. And currently, I am a lecturer at the teacher education programs of McGill and UCAM, where I train ESL and FSL pre-service teachers. So that's a really interesting start, a little bit around the world and also have some diverse experience. So from that point, what made you get interested in the current research that you're doing for your PhD and how did that start as well? I would say that I'll start first of all by explaining that my interest in education in general started from when I was a little girl. I don't know, I've always been passionate about teaching, creating my imaginary classrooms filled with students as I grew up. I enjoyed writing multiple versions of tests, putting myself in the shoes of students, doing their homework, and then playing the role of the teacher, correcting their work. Teaching has always been a way for me to make a difference in people's lives. And as I advanced in my academic and professional journey, my interest in research grew more and in teaching grew more, and it led me to where I am today. That's a really interesting start. You actually did lots of simulations growing up, a little bit like me, having the passion for education and getting that experience, which is very good. Maybe if you can talk a little bit more specifically about the research project itself, for example, what area specifically it is and what exactly are you researching? Maybe some of the research questions, if you can give us a bit of an idea of the project itself. Absolutely. I'll try to be as concise as possible because, you know, we get too excited talking about our project. So my PhD research uh, investigates the perceptions of pre-service language teachers towards technology-mediated plurilingual pedagogy. It stems from my personal experiences, I would say, which have made made me deeply curious about plurilingualism and its impact on language learning, on identity. I have experienced firsthand the power and significance, I would say, of multiple languages and shaping one's identity and sense of belonging. And so exploring the role of pure lingualism in enhancing or enriching language instruction aligns perfectly with my passion for inclusive education. And this is really what drives my dedication to researching this field. Additionally, I am drawn to researching technology-mediated plurilingualism because of its potential to revolutionize language instruction and language teacher education. I would say that research has shown that 
Two of the main challenges that language teachers face worldwide is the implementation of technology, which was especially prevalent after the pandemic, and also addressing disparities in language education around the world, especially for multilingual students. So if we don't train our teachers on how to overcome and address these challenges, the sustainability of the teaching profession is really at risk because these are the challenges that have prompted a significant number of language teachers to leave the profession. So they absolutely need better training during their teacher education programs on how to implement technology and how to address the needs of multilingual students. And I would say that this is really where my research or how my research came about. I'm hoping that my study will contribute to the development of teacher preparation programs that equip educators with the necessary skills and knowledge to address the linguistic and cultural diversity within their classrooms. Even though my research is currently being conducted in Canada, however, I would say that the benefits would enhance teacher education programs or can be applied to education programs in Canada and beyond. Yeah, so that is quite interesting. And I think sort of questions came to my mind. Firstly, if we talk a little bit more about, you mentioned pre-service teachers and plurilingual challenges they face. Obviously, language is diverse and different. And the way we probably learn and understand from one language to another is quite different. How did you, in your personal journey, find that moving from Lebanon to Canada and doing higher studies? How was that journey for yourself as from a student point of view? Well, I would say that it's important, we often don't distinguish between the different varieties of the same language. We always treat languages as separate entities, but we don't recognize that even within the same language, there are different varieties of that same language. And knowing these different varieties can also create some challenges. For me, for example, Lebanon is known to be a Francophone country. So I received most of my primary and secondary education in French. However, the education system in Lebanon is very much influenced by the Parisian or the European educational system. So the variety of French that I learned was very European. When I moved to Quebec, Quebec is known to be a Francophone province. I thought that since I knew French, it was going to help me integrate better. Yet little did I know that the version of French that I am familiar with is very different than the Quebecois French here in Canada. So I would say that we often don't realize that when we speak about the differences in languages, we need to acknowledge that even within the same language, there are differences depending on our cultural backgrounds, on where we grew up, on the regions where we were raised. And this is something extremely important because it can affect how we communicate with others and it can lead to a lot of misunderstandings. Yeah, that is so correct. It's an interesting point. The version, different versions of a specific language, it could be dialects. And, and especially if you, you'd think you move to a place where they speak the language. In terms of English, it's probably, I'm not saying it's going to be different. But for example, I was born in South Asia and the version of English they speak is more, I wouldn't say it's sort of mirroring the British system. It's not that they speak like British people. But when you come to, for example, Australia, that the English is the same and you can mostly understand people. But sometimes the dialect or the accent or the local idioms or the expressions on a day-to-day -day basis it's very difficult to especially at the start after some time probably you can get most of it but it's also an investment in how you immerse yourself in that new context so that, that's really interesting and i also think that because i mean for me in addition to french i learned english but for example in canada they speak the mostly british english 
Whereas the English that I learned in school was mostly the American English. And so when we learn languages, at least from my personal experience, when we learn it as a second language, we learn the formal version of the language. We, they don't teach us how to use this language on a daily basis. Like they don't teach us the colloquial language people use in their everyday communication. So this was also one of the challenges that I faced when I moved here. Like not only did my French, was my French different, but also my English. Like I learned the academic second languages, you know? Uh, because my first language is Arabic, because that, that's my mother tongue. Lebanon, our mother tongue is Arabic. Just to echo your comment about this, I think it's, it's, uh, it's also a main challenge. No, it's very true. It's very interesting. I think when you have that ability to switch as well, and the foundation of the language is important. That's really interesting. If you move along the discussion from now, you mentioned pre-service teachers, plurilingualism, and a little bit of focus on the technology. And you mentioned that your research is based in Canada at the moment. So if we take a little bit more specific step and look at, are you looking at certain, looking at secondary schools or primary or tertiary level education? What's the specific cohort and are you doing, what's your research methodology? Maybe if you can talk to us a little bit about that. Absolutely. Well, for now, at least my participants are all student teachers. So they are all registered in an education teacher education program at university in Quebec. They're almost in their third, some of them fourth year of the program. So they will eventually graduate and become language teachers. So I teach two cohorts. One of them is an FSL. So they are pre-service teachers of French as a second language. And the other, the second cohort are pre-service uh, teachers of English as a second language. So I'm mostly interested in pre-service language teachers who are most likely going to teach English and French as second languages. And I say English and French because these are the two official languages in Canada where my contacts, where the, my research is being held. For the methodology of my research, I would say that at least for now, because things might change along the way, but at least for now, I'm taking a more exploratory design to say, or my research is exploratory in nature, as I really just want to know what are the perceptions of these pre-service teachers. So it's mostly going to be a qualitative study. Yeah, so that's a very good design in the sense of having the French as a second language as well as the English as a second language. I assume you're doing interviews with these pre-service teachers. Are you looking at the curriculum as the respective curriculums as well as like resources? I'm not necessarily looking into the curriculum as much as I'm looking at, well, I would say the curriculum of the university. So during this teacher education program, what are the courses or are there any courses about plurilingualism and are there any courses about technology? I'm probably going to see if the lack of courses or the availability of courses affect the teachers' perceptions. Like, do the students who receive any kind of training in plurilingualism are more inclined to use it later on in the future or not? So I'm not really looking at the curriculum at the school level, but I'm mostly looking at the curriculum of my pre-service teachers within the teacher education program. Yeah, that's really interesting. We'll talk a little bit more about the findings in a moment. But I had this question from a conceptual point of view. In my research, also, we focus on topics and you know various types of theories. You mentioned plurilingualism as well. I've also, in the wider research, heard of bilingual or multilingual being thrown around. What are some of these differences? Are they the same? And how do you see in terms of your research, in terms of defining it to help you in your work? This is a very technical question. Like for someone who is not in the field, 
I would say that there is no difference. It's just a difference of terminology. But for someone in the field, there are conceptual and theoretical differences. With plurilingualism, plurilingualism does not consider languages as separate entities. So when we talk about plurilingualism, we talk about one full linguistic repertoire where learners and individuals know different languages and sometimes one language but different varieties of the same language and it's their ability to use all these languages interconnected together this is what plurilingualism or how plurilingualism perceives languages versus for example multilingualism is the availability of different languages but we really treat them as separate entities in the sense that in our mind we assign a role to every language like, for example, you would use Arabic with your family members, you would use English as in your work, you would use French or Spanish with your friends. So really you have a role in your head for every language. So languages are separated. Plurilingualism denies this separation. So the difference, I would say, is really purely theoretical and purely scientific. It's really in the literature. Yeah, that's really fascinating. Having that, being able to speak different languages gives you that repertoire, as you mentioned. So if I ask you this question, Lana, like say if I'm in your classroom, how would you use, you know, what sort of pedagogy would you use to approach using plurilingualism to get your point across or teach a concept or how does that work in your experience? In order to answer your question, I think I will go with very simple examples just to explain how it can actually be applied in the classroom. Let's say you are giving an English lesson and you are, I don't know, going over a reading passage and you want to explain a vocabulary word. So you ask your students about the meaning of a certain word in the text. Some of them might not know how to explain it in English, but they might actually know the meaning in another language. So here, as a teacher, you are confronted with two options. You either spend the next five minutes trying to explain that word in English, but you know already that your students will not understand it, or you save time and energy and simply allow your students to translate it to a different language. Because eventually the point is to get the meaning across. Why would I impose how my students would get to that meaning? And that's what plurilingualism tries to really establish. You don't need to like allow your students to use whatever resources they want to use. The point is to get to a certain learning objective, but leave it to the students to use whatever resources they want to attain that objective. It's not up to me as a teacher to impose how I want my students to learn. So back to the example of the vocab word, you can simply ask your students to translate the word in, a different, in another language. Some of these students might refer to their first languages, others might understand the word from context, maybe related to another language that they know, and just try to explain it. So you are validating your students' languages, your students' experiences, and you are also getting the point across in the sense that you are explaining what the vocab word is about. Yeah, that's a very interesting way, and I think that's inclusive way, but also a very practical way of, as you say, getting to that learning goal and using the available resources. This question also popped into my mind. I'd like to get your take on that. So your research is focusing on English as a second language or French as a second language. But if you take a step either forward or if you look at it in the big picture, what is your take on some of these plurilingualism pedagogies being applied to other courses? So for example, if you're studying economics, business or engineering or something like that, what do you feel is there applicability or is there some with the course objectives of learning and examinations and things like that? Do you think there's a transferability or not really? 
Well, I would say they're also applicable to other subject matters. But for example, when we're talking about math, we're no longer referring really to language. It's mostly numbers and signs. But yeah, the point again, the point is to, you have some learning objectives that you want to attain. So you can teach any lesson really in any subject matter in any language that you want, as long as your students understand it. Some students might understand certain subject matters in a language other than the language of instruction. So while my research really focuses on languages per se, so English and French as second languages, Plurilingualism is really, it's addressed to different subject matters. It's, um, it's a philosophy of teaching that can be applicable in different contexts and different subject matters. Yeah, that's quite interesting. And I think to varying degrees, there'll definitely be applicability. We move on from the methodology part of it, of our discussion. Lana, if you can talk to us a little bit about which specific stage you are in. I Have you completed your data collection? And if so, what are some of the early findings you are seeing and emerging from the project? Well, currently I'm still in the process of data collection, so I can't really share any of my personal assumptions. I prefer to wait till I finalize the coding so that I can share credible results. So for now, I don't really have findings. I'm in the process of finalizing data collection and I'll hopefully uh, start the coding very soon, midsummer perhaps. So I'm getting there. <laughs> <laughs> Not a problem. It's always a process. That's fine. I understand. It's a process that takes a step by step. And a person who's doing the PhD only will understand how long or how quick one specific item or part of your research takes. From that point, maybe if you talk a little bit more about up to this point, what are some of the broad challenges you have faced in your research, maybe in your personal journey, in your teaching, anything that you'd like to share with us? Yes, absolutely. I think there are different kinds of challenges that anyone really faces in, in their research journey. One of them, getting access to the research side. So we rarely talk about logistics and the practicality, the practical aspect of the research, but this can actually be very difficult. And sometimes it might make you take a different direction or a different path because you really need to make use of whatever resources you have. And sometimes we don't always have the resources that we want to have. So I would say this was one of my the main challenges in terms of realizing the research. In terms of the actual research itself, one of the things that I found a bit challenging are related to the implementation of technology. It's funny, given that we think that our students use technology on a daily basis, yet when we look at the teacher education programs, which are usually programs of three or four years, we realize that our students only take one technology course or two in these three or four years. And then they are expected to graduate, to become language teachers, and to use technology in their everyday classrooms. But they don't receive proper training for that. And then they are also asked to be inclusive. They are asked to cater to their students' different languages, different cultures. But at the same time, they don't know what plurilingualism is about. And it's funny because when I usually talk about plurilingualism in class, usually it's a new notion to everyone. But sometimes you would have students who are familiar with it, but they don't know that it has a name. So they don't know how to name it or that it's actually a pedagogy and a theoretical framework. The notion itself or the topic itself of plurilingualism when it comes to training language teachers or training teachers on how to implement it is still in the process of development. 
because teachers still need a lot of training to be able to implement it eventually in their classrooms. So in order to answer your question, I would say that some of the challenges that I faced were related to the realization of the actual research, while others related to the explanation of the themes to my participants. Also, like to mention it, when the cohort doesn't understand or have a terminology to apply to that, it's difficult for them to be a part of the research itself. They're not sure what they're exactly supposed to be doing. That's really interesting. I think we touched on technology a bit. In terms of technology can be used in a variety of ways, in different ways to address the pedagogical aspect of it. From your point of view, how do you see, maybe if you can share if you've seen, maybe you are using pedagogy, sorry, technology itself in your classroom, or you've seen some in your research cohort actually using technology to assist them. And what is your, not ideal, but recommended level of technology to be used and in what sort of manner? What is your, we'll say, opinion and take on using technology and how to use it? Honestly, I would say that my take on educational technology is the same as my take on any other trends. Let's call them trends in education. I don't like when there's a new trend in education and we kind of like force it in our students. Like after the pandemic or actually during the pandemic, we had to shift our teaching to virtual teaching. And so we need it. Educational technology emerged as a solution and it worked. But does it mean that it's the only solution? Does it mean that learning cannot occur in a different way? So my take is usually give options to your students, be it related to educational technology or related to something else. Tell them that there are options, but don't impose a certain option on them. And especially when I talk about educational technology to my students, I always tell them, don't use technology for the sake of using it. Like writing your notes on PowerPoint slides and projecting these slides to your students, this is not really using technology because you are doing the same thing. Instead of writing your notes on the board, you are just including them on the slides. So it's not really an effective use of technology. Even though we see a lot of educators doing that, simply because some of them did not receive proper training on how to do it, or they are forced to integrate technology in any way. Like you even come in into classes, you see all those installations of projectors and cameras and computers, and then you find teachers not able to turn on any of these devices, like do the basic stuff, which is totally understandable because Technology is not there for the sake of being there. Like you either train your teachers on how to use it, or there's no point of just asking them to do it if they don't receive the proper training. So it's really never impose anything on your students, I would say. This is my personal take. I prefer to lay out the options and to tell them to, to ask my students to align their objectives with whatever resources they have. Some lessons might work perfectly well if you integrate technology, Others might work better if you focus on traditional methods of teaching. Yeah, that is absolutely correct. It's the right approach in aligning the objectives and using and, and giving that training. And I also am of the view trends keep coming. There are so much of changes happening, especially in terms of artificial intelligence and things like that, disrupting a lot of sectors. But it's sometimes it's hard to keep up, but using it for the right purpose and in the right quantity, it's more of a tool. That's really interesting. Another question that broadly popped into my mind also was, uh, Lana, like you mentioned, when you are talking to your research participants, you have to explain the terms plurilingualism and in one sense, get their buy-in for the concept and being uh, looking at maybe a new approach or their ideas around that approach. If you take that a step further, in terms of your work, 
not strategies, but what sort of methods are you using to broadly communicate your work within different forums at conferences or what's your experience with that? I'm not sure I fully understand your question. So you're talking about like the dissemination of the research? Uh, yes, broadly dissemination of your work up to now or before. How does that fit into your research journey so far? Well, sharing your research and learning from others as well. So it's not only about sharing your own research, but also learning what other people are doing, be it related to your specific research or something else. There's always, when you're conducting research, it's a continuous learning experience. I try to network as much as possible. I found that social media, certain platforms like Twitter are super beneficial in getting to know people. And this is how you and I met in the first place. So I got to know a lot of new acquaintances, academic connections through social media. Conferences, attending conferences is super important, though it might be expensive and some conferences are more expensive than the other. International travel is not always easy. Thankfully, more and more conferences are now offering the virtual option, which I think is practical for, for many. There's publications, you try to publish because it's also an important part of the process, but I would say networking mostly, like talking about your research with others, talking about the simplest details. It really helps. Yeah, you're so correct. Networking and especially, as you mentioned, talking about it and getting a different point of view and something that you haven't thought of. And because sometimes it's your research journey and it's very a lonely journey. So you don't maybe talk to other people about it because they are doing their own research. It would get good feedback. Moving on, Lana, to the latter half of our discussion today. I understand that you are still in your research data collection phase. I'm not sure if you put any thoughts at the moment to how some of this work might be applicable in the future. Any ideas on at the moment? I already thought about some of the implications of the research because these are really like, this is something that you have to think about in the early stages of your research. Like, why are you doing it? What do you anticipate gaining from it? Or what are you aiming to do with your research? I would say that the main objective of my research is really to develop sustainable teaching practices. Because one of the challenges that I'm trying or my research is trying to address is the fact that many teachers are leaving the profession due to burnout because they are not equipped. They don't have the necessary tools to face certain educational challenges. So the main objective I would say of my research is really to develop sustainable teaching practices. And then of course, we have enhancing language instruction with the implementation of technology, training language teachers on how to properly and effectively use technology. And also there's the promotion of plurilingualism. And based on the findings of my research, recommendations can be given to enhance teacher education programs. And these recommendations can be included in specific courses during the training of the teachers. So they can be properly trained on how to integrate technology, how to integrate plurilingualism, how to use sustainable teaching practices, and how to really foster like an inclusive language environment or learning environment for their students. Yeah, they are very practical and it's a really important implication. And I think by the sounds of it, most of it will be definitely supportive and helpful in various contexts. We hope that our research is as beneficial as we want it to be. For sure. I was just also thought if you fast forward, you know, maybe a year or two down the line, are you hoping to conduct any similar research in other contexts? I don't know if I can answer this question in other contexts, perhaps. 
because honestly, I don't know where I'm going to be in two years, three years, four years from now. So if I ever relocate to another country, yes, absolutely. I would love to conduct more research in my home country in Lebanon. That's something that I'm aiming to do hopefully one day in the future, but it all depends on the circumstances. But yeah, I think conducting, I mean, if we are able to really realize certain projects in different contexts, we can get very interesting results because comparing these projects, comparing the contexts, comparing our strategies, I think this can be super interesting when applied to different contexts. That's really, really interesting. My final question for today, Lana, is I'm sure you're quite busy. You're doing a lot of research and teaching. What are some of the things you do outside the world of research? Wow. In my spare time outside the world of research, I would say it can be very challenging to completely disconnect from my work. Even when I try, I can feel it lingering in the back of my head. And it's not just the research itself, but everything that comes with it, you know, like the whole package, applying for conferences, publications, teaching, other work-related commitments. However, I mean, since ending my third year in the PhD program, I have come to realize the importance of taking some time off and trying to disconnect. It's a gradual process. I still have a long way to go, but at least I'm learning to prioritize myself and to find some moments of relaxation. I try to do that with, now I'm binge watching TV series, taking walks, especially now in the summer and spending quality time with my family. I'm trying to disconnect. Yeah, no, those are really good ways of disconnecting. There's always a point until you know something is completed in your research. That's always, you never really switch off totally. That's something I share and totally understand. So, Lana, I'd like to thank you so much for your time today and sharing us your insights from your research journey. I'd like to wish you all the best in the next stage. And thanks again for joining us. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you. That's all for this episode of Halftime Scholars. Let us know what you think of the show and leave us a rating on Spotify or wherever you listen to the podcast. We'll see you next month on our next episode.